Welcome to episode 27 of Behind the Blade podcast. This is going to be an awesome one. Again, we're trying to get our feet back under us, but we do have a special guest, Mr. Eric Hansen from Phobos Knives, come up all the way from Tennessee just to sit with us in an echoey room and talk about knives with you guys. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. And we are back with Eric Hansen of Phobos Knives and, of course, Matt Martin. Yo! What's going on? Um, all right, we've got news from Knife News. We don't actually have our clip yet because the clip itself that brings us into the news is actually on one of my other hard drives that I totally forgot about right up until... Who asked about this? It? Is, this is what happens, guys. Okay. We had a coffee break over the holidays. Vehement <laughs> Knives World Headquarters got moved, and now we have to get trained all over again because it's almost like we don't know what we're doing. No, actually, we had a... <laughs> Uh, a significant manufacturer's error on our new... I'm going to talk about this like I Go know what's yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah, I'll Jim, correct you if you're wrong. Yeah, Jim's the guy. <laughs> so uh, Jim put together a nice custom computer that we had purchased specifically for Behind the Blade podcast. And it fired up. Everything was great. I think we did one episode on yeah, it, right? Yeah, the yeah. Last, last episode, the State of the uh, Podcast address. Yeah, and then we well, come... On, on it. Yeah, and, and we come back, fire it up, and the thing's dead. And yeah. so we have no audio, we have no nothing, the computer doesn't work, so that's why we missed the last week's episode. So we actually had to send it back to the manufacturer, and they are sending us a replacement. It should be about two weeks. In the meantime, Jim was kind enough to dust off his old tower and break it down to bare bones so that it had the processing power to be able to do the show, and that's what we're operating on today. So we have none of our little pre-recorded you know uh <laughs> drops and stuff like that so we're just gonna wing it it's like uh eric was talking off air a couple minutes ago it's like a, an episode of saturday night live it's all off the Absolutely. cuff so yeah we'll see how it goes what up brother yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so let's go so what do we have on knife news You're, i don't even remember their slogan i feel really bad uh today's news for knife people there you Matt. Go. today's news for <laughs> knife people what do we got Jim? all right we got the the first thing that really kind of caught our eye on knife news is that essie the uh the, uh, the great little company uh, is to offer their first axe and new folder in 2018 but I, th I think that's cool man uh you know essie obviously has been proven uh, through the Hungless model, the Izula model, the mm -hmm. three, four, yeah. five, six. They're just all around good bush knives. Uh, they don't break the bank. They use, I think, 1095 primarily for their yep. steel. Yep, some uh, coatings, but good edges. Yep, you know? yeah. good geometry. Yep. Very comfortable, in my opinion, from the ones that I've handled. I used to carry a Hungless religiously, and uh, <laughs> that was my go-to knife. I've since replaced it, and I may still go back because I, it's just a it's a perfect big bush knife, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, their folder looked pretty good too. It looked like a rat, um, but just you know, broken down into a folder. Um, some basic stuff looked like it looks like an eight. It's got eighth inch G10 textured uh, texture G10 scales, awesome. probably on both sides. Probably a stainless steel liner lock, but it's a liner lock. A nice, cool little drop point. A wide blade, uh, thumb stud opening. Um, it looks pretty slick. It looks pretty slick. I dig it. Yeah, I dig it. So the axe. Yeah, I mean, right that's the up. big one. Them coming yeah. out with a folder is like, meh, but an axe, you know, that kind of suits their lineup. What do you think, Eric? No, I, I like it. As a hatchet, it's, it looks functional. The handle is obviously dual. You, you can have your hand low. You can have your hand high. You can pound the hammer on the back side of it. It's the ergonomics look, look pretty good. I, I'd like to use it. Are you an axe guy? Right? Yeah, when you we, camp and stuff, you use yeah, a hatchet? I, we do. Nice. You know, me and both the boys, we go... Uh, Pretty much everywhere. Our next trip is actually going to be out in Utah or Colorado. Oh, sweet! Rice, my uh, our youngest boy, is our third middle middle child. He just got a new Jeep. I'm getting a new Colorado ZR2 in in this year in, in probably four or five weeks. 
got the VIN number, so we're uh, we're gonna do a, a, a major road trip and go out and so maybe we'll do some video and oh yeah, that'd be yeah, killer, yeah, man. Have, have some fun. Yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Excellent. So SE's uh, expat line also functions as a platform for small run experimentation, a lot like Spyderco's Mule. Expat does. line, like import line? Um, expat line. Hold on. Let me just click on that real quick, and I'll tell you exactly what it is. Um, I don't know. It might just be this finish that they have on there, this 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 line. There's a cleaver that they've got, the CL1 outdoor cleaver. Uh, um, uh, scratch that. Oh, come <laughs> on, guys. Come on. <laughs> This is all camp butchers now. This, is, this was last year. It was it was published December twenty fourth, two thousand sixteen. So, and I have seen zero pictures of any online anywhere. <laughs> so I'm sure it was a huge hit. Yeah, no offense, Essie. I love your products. Let's stay on the reservation though. Come on. <laughs> so apparently it's it's their experimentation line. So they're releasing this axe and this folder underneath the expat ex, um, experimentation line. Expat's actually kind of funny <laughs> in that respect that it's the experimental line. Um, I guess, but I mean, expat has a. I'm not going to get into it. All right. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. military abroad, or, or, or right. You know, a citizen that lives abroad, right, is really what an expat is. Yeah, exactly. That's why. That's why I figured it was no, an they, import they got, line. They got good stuff. I mean, it's it's and like you said, it doesn't break the bank. No, um, it, if that's if that's what you're looking for. The other thing know. that's cool about them is you can get out from under them. Yes. Really easy, yeah, right. so if it's a safe trade, purchase. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. If you're into trading and, and or trading up or or whatever, they're they're good to go. And totally. If you need to regrind it, it's it's an easy night to regrind on. Also, so mm -hmm. just straight 1095. Yep, yep. Just straight 1095 yep. is really easy to reprofile. And a lot of guys like to strip on. them. We should do a bit on that on how to. That's how a great to strip idea. That's a great idea. I mean, that wouldn't be too hard to do. At Pretty all. sure Reed's yeah. got one over at North Star Trading Post that I could buy off him, or you know, get one out of the group. So I'm, if I'm sure, if I looked under your dad's desk far enough, I could probably uh, find I one too. I think we have an Azula yeah, yeah, sitting yeah, yeah, around yeah. In, in his in his thing somewhere, in his desk somewhere. So yeah, that's what's going on for Essie, and I'm um, great that they're great to see that they're expanding their ideas and their lines, and uh, looking forward to seeing more from them. Let's get to the good part. All there was right. an article in here that had me all fired up. All right, <clears throat> we love we love this Second Amendment. New knife bills introduced in Michigan and Virginia. Together. Yeah, together, yeah, together, pretty much at the same time. Um, Some may even say simultaneously. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> two more pieces of knife-centric legislation are working their way through the political system this month. Michigan sees its first possible advance in knife law since the repeal of the automatic ban last July. Let's yeah. uh, take a minute of appreciation yeah, that that happened to observe that yeah. <laughs> and virginia may lift the ban on knife carry in places of worship michigan house bill 5512 seeks to remove all language of knives from section 227 of the michigan penal code if signed into law the following text will be eliminated so pay attention guys this is the good part yeah a person shall not carry a dagger, dirk, stiletto, a double-edged, non-folding stabbing instrument of any length or any other dangerous weapon except a hunting knife adapted and carried as such, concealed on or about his person, or whether concealed or otherwise in any vehicle operated or occupied by the person, except in his or her dwelling house, place of business, or on other land possessed by the person. Basically what that means is that you can't really carry a fixed blade except if it's except if you can argue that it's a hunting knife is is really how um it's being interpreted here um well that would be uh, nearly anything except for a double-edged knife right so it's so while it seems like it's 
pretty restrictive. It's actually really not. Because How do you get it to your house, dwelling, or other property well, if you, you can't transport it in a vehicle? Like, well, Matt, you have to have the magic knife fairy drop it off. I think, yeah, drones, so, man. <laughs> <laughs> knife, knife delivery drones. That's our next venture. <laughs> Should make us hundred airs. Well, <laughs> that's, after, that's after we started a thousand airs. That language right there leans into. Oh, Let's sorry. get a yeah, mic no, over. It's all, yeah, it's all, it's all yeah that, you know that language there leads into the you know the double edged blades, or, or or you know sharpen on both sides obviously, but you're getting away from the directional handle of here's a hunting knife, here's a chef knife, here's here's this you know whatever. Right so now. You can actually defend yourself with an edge blade, up, down, draw, cut, push, cut, etc., and both sides in a knife. And I think I think this is a good thing. And what the Second Amendment, Second Amendment is about is not just about guns. It's about you know the right you know to to be armed shall not be infringed. So this absolutely, is, this is awesome. And, and two states doing it at the same time is this is a windfall as the other the other thirty eight. You know, conservative states out there are are more than likely going to fall right in line. I would I would imagine it can create some momentum. Correct. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly, and get Absolutely. that dropped off. And I mean, let's get down to the bare bottom truth of it. I carry. You guys know this on air. Uh, it's been a while since we've talked about it. Uh, I carry a JB Stout Classic Drop Point Hunter. It's about a four inch blade. Yep. And there's not much that I couldn't use this knife for, including self defense. Uh, there isn't necessarily a huge intrinsic benefit to having two edges, but people buy knives and carry knives based on a certain aesthetic because a buck 110 can do just about anything any knife can do. So there is something to be said about an aesthetic that just gives a knife owner pleasure and that pleasure should not be illegal. The fact that they can carry any knife, I think, is a right, not a privilege necessarily. Correct. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. that knife 100%. is a tool that can be used for a multitude of functions. But there are certain aesthetic pleasantries, niceties that you get out of a dag, you know, out of a dagger, a double-edged knife or something like that. Not to mention the old uh, double-bit axe mentality that one edge is kept fine all the time and the other is a beater edge right. that you use yep. for cutting yep. cardboard and stuff yep. like that. Utility edge, right. Exactly. Yep. So, I mean, there's utility. There is... Uh, I don't know what would you what you would call that. I don't, it's not necessarily pride of ownership, but there's just appeal, just general shape appeal, right? Well, self-expression. Yeah, there you go. Self-expression. Okay, yeah. yeah, to get down to it. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. And then, you know, finally, you have the defensive capabilities of any knife or any tool, even a pen or a pencil, you know what I mean, regardless of what you have. So I don't think having two edges makes a knife more nefarious, yeah. no more than a vertical foregrip on a rifle makes it an assault weapon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, so right, yeah, it, it doesn't change the function of a cutting edge. So, yes, let's drop it and let's carry boot knives again because... I get rid of a bunch of them when I moved up here because I'm like, I'm just not going to carry these and they weren't uh, valuable to my heart. So, yeah. So, as I swing smooth. the mic around. Yeah, that was really smooth. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you guys heard that. It's like, I was like, Matt, uh, Matt, Matt just uh, ended his speech and then there's something that blew out my speaker. That's yeah. me punching the mic stand. Right. Sorry. Um, all right, but... um. As a quote, um, it's a good start on the rest of Michigan's knife law problems after the auto ban repeal we helped enact. Says Knife Rights Chairman Doug Ritter. The targeted portion of Michigan law needs to go for another reason. It's outdated. Ritter tells us that old, out-of-touch laws that have remained untouched for years are often the source of knife-related woes in Michigan and elsewhere. In, yeah, in the 60s. Yeah, so even as early as in the, the 50s. 50s. Or even in the beginning of, of the, the, the growth of gangs in, in, the, in, in the country. 
So uh, that's really where where it stems from. Yeah, you know, 1957 yep. was the the beginning of the switchblade ban. Yep. You know, yep. and it uh, the toys that kill, and it was just as polarizing a topic as automatic firearms yep. today. Absolutely. It was a political platform. It was for a political to stand platform, on. absolutely. And in the end, it, I'm going to ramble because no, it's been a while since I've been on the air. Um, in the end, what it does is it restricts our trade. It restricts yeah. our ability to produce and have a marketable product because of its geometry. Because of its shape, now we are not allowed to feed our families based on that shape. I thought we weren't supposed to judge things based on their outward appearance. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, <laughs> meanwhile, in Virginia, HB 1180 aims to allow the carry of weapons into places of worship, get this, specifically for purposes of self-defense. Oh, Purposely for. So, although not specifically a knife-centric bill, blades will benefit alongside firearms in this case. Ritter notes that places of worship are like any other location where people gather, and those who patronize them should be able to defend themselves. Quote, we know in many cases people do carry their knives there anyway, but it's always better to do it within the law. So they're just, you know, already people are doing that and they're already, you know, they're just kind of like framing it within the context of the law. They can't be penalized if they do something that they're already doing. So that's right. really good. Yep. I think it's really awesome. Well, I think that, uh, I think that wraps up the news for right now. First time in a long time. Glad yeah, to be back. Well, well, we got one more very important thing. Eric. Yes. What you carrying? What, well, what am I carrying on me right now? Is in my my Kimber forty five. We just <clears throat> I just sold. You're busting me out here. I just sold my two SDIs, forty uh, fives, and uh, it's a knife show, Eric. Know, Let's try that, to keep but, it knifey. <clears throat> but, uh, that's what it is. I mean, you're asking me on my EDC yeah. stuff, and I'm carrying my own harpoon. Uh, yeah, check it out. Oh, oh, that's hot. So. You know, your your dad prompted me to design it and make it, and that's what we're we're doing. I don't know exactly when uh, it'll come out this year, but uh, hopefully it'll be it'll it'll be in there. But it's five inch blade. Five inch blade looks like R handle. R as in your yeah, or R, R as in yeah, Romeo? Yeah, the, the, the Phobos handle. Okay, gotcha. Okay, you know, so yeah, it doesn't have the jimping. It's without the jimping. Jim helped me coke bottle. I don't usually coke bottle, and he said, "Let me do it." And so he he ground it, and that's what we come up with. And you know, there there we are. It's all good. Yeah, definitely fits your style. So yep, guys, this is absolutely. about a, a five inch harpoon, but it's a pretty long swedged harpoon. So where it breaks is about the natural resting point for your thumb on the spine, and it looks like it's got some black and green linen yep. micarta yep. held together with some corby <clears throat> bolts. Has a lanyard hole. What makes this knife unique and kind of, I would even say, unconventional is the fact that it it actually tapers towards the butt of the knife instead of getting larger. So if you thought about like a loveless dropped hunter, you would notice that towards the, the tip of the tang on the butt side, it would typically get longer. But I happen to know that Eric's design cues come from a lot of in, in, inverted blade work. And so typically he carries in an ice pick grip with edge facing out. Um, although this is pretty comfortable with edge facing in, which I like, uh, in a, in a fighting stance just for trapping and stuff right, like that. Yeah, too. we do, we and do, so. I do both. And, and, and the, the premise of our handle design, if that's where we're going is comes from my first really, really early days in, in SF and special forces where the training that we would do is, as a team and with our sister team would be, you would be prone on your stomach and, and you'd be on your back, but the knife would be in three different positions. The knife would be up in front of you if you were prone, away from your hand, 
it would be also in your hand or in your sheath. And then on your back, it would be behind you on your head on the floor. And you would have to retrieve it and then either in your hand or in your sheath. So you, and you would have to get up. So you don't really get to dictate the orientation in which you no. grab the knife in nope. a panic scenario. No, nope. in that panic, in that, in that training scenario, essentially the controller in the scenario would set the knife down somewhere either in front of you if you were if you were prone or if you were supine on your back, he would set it down behind your head and you couldn't see it. So you, you had to, you know, you had to retrieve retrieve your blade, whether it was on the ground. In your sheath or in in the proper hand, in the proper hand, so you didn't really get to dictate the scenario in the training, which which allowed for some really. Uh, I mean, it was it's fast, it's right? Fast. It's dynamic. It's and very very dynamic, and it, and it was very very real. And the whether we had rubber blades or wood blades, or we had some aluminum blades made, <clears throat> and you know, I quickly learned that guys that had larger larger handles with their knife, because because you. Once we were trained and we had, we literally had tire, um, had made uh, these tire. Like impact targets? Yeah, like, okay. like a heavy bag, but it was made out of tire, like yep. four or five different tires with chains and, you know, hung from hung from the ceiling. And in in the process of the force on force, we would use the training tools, you know, the rubber knives or whatever. And the impacts got really, really hard. I mean, you were, you were whether you were facing your knife forward or in a reverse, reverse grip or a terse grip, where it was sideways in, in your hand to where you can penetrate the body or the ribs or, or you know, whatever, whatever it may be in, in the hip area. And th- you could not predict where he was going to move, whether you were going to get kneed, elbowed, punched, struck, it, you know. So having the ability to maintain your grip was in- muy importante. You know what <laughs> I mean? It, w- it was very, very important. So you so, found that a larger grip or was, a longer grip, most specifically. Well, well right. Well, a larger, a larger, fatter grip didn't, didn't really lend itself to impact. You know, there were, there were guys who just, you couldn't control and maintain the grip during the impacts for a secondary strike or whatever. And, and guys were losing, getting the knives, their knives knocked out of their hands. And I had a Spanish mule, you know, or as the Spanish say, mula. And, and it was a bowling style. And it was eh, about six and three quarter inch blade. And we got it. There's a story to that too. But I actually I went to Toledo in Spain. We were landed in Rota and got a red X from the airport. Great Force. steel, great knives yeah, come yeah, out of yeah, Toledo. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we, we went from Rota on a couple, we knew that the plane was going to be down. The Air Force guys were assured us that the, the part wouldn't show up for like three days. So we, <laughs> nice. so we knew we had this hiatus in, in, in Spain. So a couple of my teammates and I, we went, we went to Toledo and started looking around and shopping around. And I I found this, you know, this moulet and I just, I just loved it. And it, but it had a larger, a larger grip on it and it did not lend well. And that's kind of what prompted me to say, okay, I need to redesign or grind or do, you know, or do do whatever. You you know, you know how we are. It's you, you tinker, you you draw, you change, you fix, you, you know, I'm not really worried. I'm, Oh, I'm, I know that I'm dance, gonna dude. Un, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I'm going to, you know, unscrew what, what's, what's screwed up here. And, and that's what, what drove it. And hence, you know, over the years, over the decades, that's why we have the handle that we have. And I pretty much, I stick with it. I mean, we have some other handles, a directional cutting handle, but the mainstay from our full size handle to the boot handle to the companion handle are pretty much, spot on in shape and ergonomical you know design form function in, into your hand for impact forward or impact in the reverse grip 
So just so uh, are the guys listening, just so you guys can kind of keep tabs also, Eric, do you have a website that we can direct them to so they can see your, your right. boot versus your full size? Right. And what's, what's being done right now is we're co-branding with, with Bark River. I've, I've, the stuff that I've made and the guys that I've worked with, like Ray Ennis and, and some other folks, we've only sold, I've only sold specifically to the special operations community. And I've, so you're just now getting ready to kind of go right. public. Yep, that's really what we're doing. You know, I've talked, talk, spoke with you know Doug Stryker, who, who worked with Ray, and 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 he's he looked at my stuff and was like, "Look, dude, you need to you need to go, you know, put some of your stuff into 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 production," and that's what we're doing. You know, so you know, here it is, and I'm in the process of releasing our website soon it's it's done it's ready all right now i'm gonna cut through the bowl here for just a second i know eric and he's kind of a perfectionist and he has all these nuances Uh that he because i we've talked about knives we've talked about cheese we've talked about everything uh and so when he says i've got a website in the works it's not like just a a rubber stamp website it's because no this is not the right shade of gray for the background or whatever it is so (laughs) okay am i wrong no no you're you're, you're painfully correct (laughs) (laughs) i I will gulp down that pain so stay tuned what is the website going to be called just so they can check it phobos phobosknives.com phobos knives and that's f-o-b-o-s so foxtrot oscar bravo oscar sierra knives and if you guys can't spell knives then go ahead and turn off your radio because we have uh nothing in common that's the wrong show yeah (laughs) okay so albeit winded jim it is your turn what are you carrying today, bud? Everybody already knows what I'm carrying today, Matt. Let me guess. Ultralight Bushcrafter. <laughs> uh-huh. And a uh, Victorinox. Swiss tool. Mirror polish leather, or uh, multi-tool. Yep. I build the I build the crap out of other knives with it, though. You do, it's, yeah. It's, it's, extremely, it's extremely useful. My Ultralight Bushcrafter I use every single day. And uh, today I actually meant to bring in a gift f- to me and my wife from our good friend Jimmy Mack. I was hoping you were going to say a I, gift to me from you, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, These, are mine. Yeah. These are mine. These are mine. So um, a little while ago, uh, Jimmy Mack, uh, being the awesome guy that he is, he sent me some um, sent me some switchblades. Nice. By a uh, by a gentleman by the name of Robbie Dalton. Robbie Dalton. That's it. How did I know? That, oh man, it's almost like <laughs> I told you about it a little bit ago. <laughs> but no, he sent me three three beautiful switchblades of it, and my wife had immediately claimed one, and I never. I think I got to the only chance I got to hold it was uh, it was this cool little black and maroon micarta one, and it was a beautiful um, beautiful lock mechanism on it. Nice, um, typical Dalton style. I think I got to hold it for about three seconds before my wife pulled it out of the. Before my wife pulled it out of the. So you have a flash get, memory of this knife, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and then it's it's disappeared. Uh-huh. So I don't know where it is. So um, I was hoping to bring that. I will have to save it for the next episode, though. So oh, we I can't can go wait into to see detail it. about it. They're they're cool little knives, and I'm very thankful to Jimmy Mac for 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 sending them my way. I owe you, sir. There and you go. know how knife makers pay each other. Right on. <laughs> All right, so Mr. Matt Martin. Uh, the huge. I think I've got my <laughs> yeah. I've got my Sabenza today. I've got my Victorinox Farmer Alox or Pioneer. I'm sorry, Pioneer Alox. But I just got a new acquisition, so this is kind of a mail call for me that I'm pretty excited about. Um, I 
I'll just tell you guys about the knife. I won't tell you about the background. <laughs> uh, so this is, I'm holding in my hand, a SOG Specialty Knives Trident. And I believe these are out of AUS-8. AUS uh, this one in particular is made in Taiwan. But I can tell you, looking at it, the fit and finish is 95% what you would expect from Hattori coming out of Seki City, Japan. Uh, which is Yeah, I see that. There's, there's very little gaps on it. Um, the finish is very nice. Oh, yeah, um, the finish is impeccable. The satin's yeah. impeccable. The grinds are really nice. They're well done. I kind of like the little oval around the very top of the guard that, it, that encapsulates I, the, you know, the blade. That you know, caught my nice. eye, too. So uh, we do have the photo booth set up now, but we do not have the video cameras. So I will snap some uh, photos, some you know pictures, still pictures, so that you guys can get a picture of that. But they did this really cool kind of radius chamfer treatment to the face of the guard. So on the blade edge yeah. of the stainless steel guard. It looks good, dude. I mean, I, isn't that I, I dig the handle, too. And the black, white, black with white, black. It's, Get it's, a load of this. It's sweet. I don't know why I've never done this. And I hope our trench crew is listening right now because this is a brilliant idea. You're like, where am I going to get an inch and an eighth block of micarta? I buy them at Blade. I don't ever order the big sheets. Those are washers. Yeah. Those are micarta washers. And I just thought that was brilliant. You know, kind of a nod to the old uh, Mac V SOG blade with the stack leather. I'm not really a super fan of that blade. The way I I just, but it's the way that's done is really, really gorgeous. It's hot. I would carry that. Oh, I would, I would wear that in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? Even to church. If as soon as this law gets (laughs) repealed. Um, no, they did. They did a kind of modern adaptation yep. on the marbles tang nut. Uh, as you guys know, like a marbles nut, you'll see it on some bark rivers and some vehemence. There's like a slotted brass nut, and you can use a split screwdriver to torque that down. Well, what Sog did is they used kind of a proprietary spanner mechanism. So it's a round nut that has, let's see, five, six has six holes, you know, equally equidistant, I guess, from each other. And they have a proprietary spanner wrench that goes in there and then torques the whole handle down. It looks like you can actually hammer that without damaging the mechanism. Oh, totally, yeah. You know know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. that's awesome. I mean, as a field knife, it's hollow ground, which, uh, you know, I know you guys are huge proponents of convex grinds. I am too, being a Felkneven carrier, religious Felkneven carrier. Right. Uh, But honestly, as kids growing up, how terrible were we to our knives? Awful. Horrible. Horrible. 90% of them right, were, right. were hollow ground yep. yeah. and we built every <laughs> fort we you know what i mean we started every campfire <laughs> like so uh I, I don't see any problem with it whatsoever as a field knife honestly i i've i set my sights on a new knife so you guys know that i'm a felt guy i mean i'm a bark river guy and i'm a vehement guy too but my favorite knife the inner child in me i love my felt s1 it's just always performed well for me it's a great and, knife and it i think really i'm is. gonna jump to the s1 pro i've got Ooh. my sights set on that Ooh. just because the s1's really boring looking and it's not very exciting and the s1 pro is a little bit thicker stock and it has the stainless steel guard are you pulling up a picture nope. okay that's the s1 Hang on. no you got yeah you got to type in pro they got a S1 Pro here. Okay. All right, here we go. Now, take a look at that, and I'll give you guys a second to jump on your phones or whatever it is and look up the Falkneven, F-A-L-L-K-N-I-V-E-N. Proper pronunciation is actually Falkneven, but we say Falkneven because there's an A. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, wouldn't those two look nice together? Yeah. So that, S, that SOG Specialty Knives S2 Trident as the, if you want to call it the fighter, or maybe just the more radical blade profile. And then for the more traditional, you've got the Falkneven with the black handle, the brushed stainless steel and, guard. And satin, the and, yes, and convex. So honestly, I would, with those two knives, I'd be fine. And maybe the Hunglis if they ever did it in stainless and satin. So with black handles. <laughs> Very cool. 
Yeah. These really are micarta spacers, aren't they? They it are. Looks like looks like looks yep. like linen micarta. You can yep. barely see the differentiation yeah. between them, but they are. And I just thought that was cool. It's and the white cool. washers, to your yeah. point, Eric, yeah. that's a throwback I, to I the old really Mac V saw. It's really good. And mm-hmm. it feels good, man. Yeah, it does feel yeah. good. It looks heavier than it is. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's still not a light knife, but it looks yeah. heavier than it is. And and it's 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 really weighted on the handle. And I, it's, for me, as as you know, as we we've kind of talked over the length of our relationship, I really like to pummel with with the handle and and use the pummel as as a weapon. You know, and that's whether it's inside the leg or outside the leg, on the hip, on the collarbone, you know, wherever. You're Which, not, if not, you guys knew, Eric, this is the last guy that you want to take a stainless steel pommel on a knife and hammer into you. I mean, the guy is a brick poop house, for Christ's sake. And so... <laughs> but, I mean, this is this is sweet. This is definitely a, a well-thought-out ergonomical combat knife, and, and you can use it for... I mean, name something you couldn't. You yeah, know what I mean? I, I think it's a good knife. So I'm excited to have it. Yeah. I, I had my uh, apprehensions, it being not the Hattori made, Japanese made, mm-hmm. but being the Taiwanese made. And if I didn't hear it from Spencer himself that this was from Taiwan, I wouldn't have known the difference. Right. To be yeah, quite honest. Because the you, finish so. looks very sexy. Oh, it, my it totally God. does. Yeah and, yeah. and sexy. So. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I a, think. There's a t shirt idea. <laughs> sexy and sexy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that wraps up our news segment, gang. Stay tuned. We will be back for an interview with Eric Hansen to find out his background and what he's hoping to do for the future. Be back in a flash. What's happening, gang? Matt Martin with Behind the Blade Podcast. Feels good to say that. I haven't said that in a while. I'm like Matt Martin with... Yeah, no, it feels good to say that. Um, I'm here to tell you about a product that you all know and love, and I know a lot of you guys have reached out and got one for yourself, but the KME Guided Sharpening System, and we have, I wouldn't say we beat this to death because it's always kind of unveiling itself in new avenues, and I took it to my most abhorred steel. <laughs> what, what is your most abhorred steel? D2. 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 I think it's a lot of people's own I, I wish D2 <laughs> never existed. I wish that the charts that came out with the uh, metrics on D2 never hit the internet or hit public eye because they're like, this is what we have to have. Well, the thing about D2 is what makes it so spectacular in the eyes of people who read charts. Now, uh, Bob Dozier does a fantastic job with D2, but as a whole, the steel makes me cringe the old adage is it will take a bad edge but it will keep it forever <laughs> and my and it's true yeah. and i have this oh. jb stout that's in d2 and it is my everyday carry uh the last time i sharpened it i had to take it to a belt on the grinder oh, and no. and yeah. two nights ago i sat down and jenna kind of rolled her eyes because she know it's a deal when i bust out the kme she's like she's like oh, we're doing this right now because it's going to be an hour of my life that you know <laughs> I will see the back. yeah I'll see the dividends but she doesn't to, understand. She'll have to see you through it. Right. Exactly. Oh, why is the tip like this? And so, especially because I'm the one that ground the edge on it. You know, the the more recent edge, uh, Jason at JB Stout did a great job on the primary edge or the secondary edge, but I used it so much that I had to resharpen. So I sit down with the KME and I drew up the most beautiful burr on this D2 knife. And I was able to strop it out, little kangaroo hide strops, and you know, I, I did all that. And I was able to get hair popping D2 yet again. Woo! For freehand, you might as well try to sharpen a window. 
You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's that miserable. And so I was so happy to have, I even started at the, I think it's the XXC 100 grit. Yeah, you started really coarse. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, and I'll be honest, I haven't found much use for the Beast, the 50 grit one, uh, because to me, I think the, the little diamond carbides or whatever were too coarse. Yeah. And they skitter across it. You'd have to have a really big chip. Out of the blade. Yeah. You have to also be in a rush. Yeah. I, maybe. <laughs> but still yeah. Does a good job. I mean, and, I, I, but I, that I, starting with that hundred grit, okay. I was able to by by I think it's one forty grit is the coarse or extra coarse. Yep. So by one forty grit, I had a nice burr going, and then I just kept working it down and down and down and down, and I finished. I don't remember what micron. Uh, what do you call it? The emulsion, the diamond emulsion. Yeah, the diamond emulsion. Um, my kid came with point four. I think is where I finished. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was two, four, and point five. And I, I know and that's out of order, of course. Right. Yeah. And I know the sharpening guys will be like, oh, you didn't get a true. Well, I, I I got as good as I'm gonna get, which is perfect because even though I know a little bit about the knife industry, I am anything but a sharpening guru. That's really more Jim's <laughs> department than mine. Oh, okay. And so I am a novice at sharpening at best, if it's not directly on a KMG or on a belt grinder or some or some variation. But but yeah, using the KME system, I was able to raise a burr on D2. And to me, I feel like I just planted a big flag with an M on it on top of Everest. I was like, ah, I did it. So anyways, I invite you to check them out, kmesharp.com. Obviously, they are great friends, both on a personal and professional level with the podcast and Jim and I, respectively. Um, we, I mean, we consider them extended knife family. And it's more than our seal of approval it, because who are we, right? It's just our recommendation to go check these guys out and their customer service, their level of personality, and their products speak for themselves. So kmesharp.com. And you can also find them on YouTube at youtube.com. I believe it's also kmesharp. There you go. Right on. Oh, you can tell them behind the blade sent you. feels like it's been minutes, but it's only been minutes. I'm sitting across from Mr. Eric Hansen from Phobos Knives, who has made an interstate trip to come up and hang out with us while we was up here on business. Uh, we appreciate it. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I am stoked to be here. This is this is the number one podcast on the planet for knives. And thank I appreciate you very that. We appreciate that. Well, you're only talking because it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the truth. I it's think he's intimidated by us. I, I think that. Shaking in my boots. So, Eric, you are a knife designer, correct? And that stems a novice, from a being builder. a knife user slash practitioner, correct. right? Yep, absolutely. So let's get a little bit of background timeline sure, so that the guys listening, uh, guys and gals, the folks listening, uh, can kind of get an idea as to who you are. So what's your what's your background, your professional background? Well, I spent 22 plus years in the U.S. military and the Army. Um, 17 of those years was in Special Forces. The last eight of those years was in a very small CT unit, either in, as an operator or... Counterterrorism unit? CT, correct. Counterterrorism okay. unit of SIF in A15, um, either as an instructor or an operator. Um, after I retired, I went over to uh, one of the three-letter folks and okay. did the paramilitary thing as, as an 18 Delta, a Special Forces medic, in, in some very, very small projects. 
Uh, I think that's where the term elite stems from, right? I think that's basically... Well, I mean, we, <laughs> it was a neglected group. I mean, we had Marines and Rangers and SF guys and SEALs and Dev SEALs and, and you know, some CAG dudes. And, you know, I mean, it, it was it was a... It was a bunch of guys that were coming together to do good things, you know. So, and in that background, <clears throat> hang on, Eric has a phone call. We'll no, just no, let okay, him take that. Okay. But in that background, obviously training is paramount, right? Correct. So there is a lot <clears throat> of blade training. And this is something we actually don't get into on the show very often is a lot of combatives. And I, being martial arts practitioners Correct. ourselves and stuff like that, we, we don't super get into it but this is a really interesting topic that i think the listeners will be into so especially in the realm of training which is something that you guys have to hammer in that way your reactions are on point yeah, when correct, it when it comes correct, time correct, correct. you have a lot of banked knowledge on how a knife should function and actually does function correct yeah and and you know whether it was ground branch or grs you know wherever wherever i was working um there's a lot of concealed, so you're not loaded. Now, Ground to, Branch, GRS, these are uh, in, uh, private contract companies? Um, no, they're actual uh, places to work within, you know, our intelligence community. Okay. So, I mean, it's stuff you can look up on the internet, so I'm not, I'm not spilling the beans on anything that yep. isn't already out there. But, um, and, and we're, we're not going to go super deep into it, you yep. know, obviously, but, but it is, <laughs> you know, it is, Iwi, it is what it is. So, um, but you do a lot of concealed work. And you do it all outside the wire. So you have to, you're not loaded for bear. You know, like our Marines and our infantrymen, you know, they're carrying 210 rounds or carrying 10 or 7 extra mags in, their, in their, their rucksack or whatever. You may have one mag. This is kind of a minimalist loadout. Very, very minimal. Just enough to yeah, get correct. the job done should correct. the wheels come off. Absolutely, should the wheels come off, right. And, and it just, it, it takes... It takes your understanding of a capability to the nth level when you know, okay, this is all I have to fall back on. So I can't just unload. I can't suppress. I can't just shoot, 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 shoot. I have to be really picky and choosy and move. And it, and it, 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 it changes the way you train. And, and what I, the, the biggest thing that I, that I learned is I had, for my special forces career, I, I, had a, I thought I had a pretty good understanding. And, and we did, I mean, obviously a pretty good understanding of how things would be done or the way they should be done. But once you get into groups of onesies and twosies, and literally there, there were times I was, I was alone. You know, I may have had assets above me. Right. I may have, you know, there may have been 10 or 15 miles away where... Some kind of support or QRF or, or something. Some support yeah. near, near me, you know, where they were driving around and, and we, were, we were literally walking through... You know, but at that moment, while it's just you, you and your Shubarus, yeah, it's you, yeah, a knife, yeah. and, a, and a sidearm, a handgun most well, it's commonly. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you carried maybe three or four magazines or one, you know, one in your gun, but it was it was a minimalist loadout, you know. So so it, it really did redefine the principles by which you would live and die in the fight, whether that was very close quarters, whether it was close quarters, or whether it was you know three hundred to a thousand meters away now for know, the, or across the valley for the and, sake of the guys listening yep. and the, the folks listening i'm sorry folks uh for the sake of the folks listening did you choose your loadout when it's something that specialized or was it something that would may no, have been it, issued to you it was it was very uh in in older terms you'd say shooter preference now they say you know shooter solution 
So it, it was it was very very shooter solution. Okay. I mean, you came up with what worked for you because it's just you. And because oh, it, it's just you, right? right. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, and the reason being is is you know you may have other assets above you and you may be talking to them, but you are the cat that's on the ground. And like I said, the other the other guy that's with you. Some you know sometimes you had a bigger team. Sometimes there was twosies. Sometimes there were six. Sometimes there were a couple teams from two different locations that came together. I mean, it was. It but was, that doesn't change your belt kit, to use a British term. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, your yeah, stuff is your, your stuff. Basic, your basic load your, was your basic load. Now, now, did you typically carry a, a fixed blade, or yes, I know you did. I okay, did. a I lot did. of guys used to carry the old Spiderco clippets, like back in Mogadishu and stuff. The wow. seals would. I mean, that that was where that really came from. A lot of these wow. guys that were undercover beards and the whole bit, and they had a Spiderco clippet on them. If I carried, if I carried a an actual folder. I carried it as a neck knife. Okay, yeah, just you know, as like a last ditch yep, kind of. As a, and it was on a piece of 550 cord or either shot cord around my, around my neck. And and that's that's really the truth. I mean, there was so much flexibility in your missions. You never knew if you were working with red, with green, with blue. You know, these are teams. Not, yeah, you know, different military entities. You know, out there, uh, or if if you were gonna do do the the gig yourself you right know, with just your you know your guys what fixed blade did you typically carry with you what was what's kind of your tried and true this well, is my for, jam for years for years i i carry i had two two blades one that one that i had made it was a four four inch blade and then i carried ray's you know tiger shark that's ray ennis, ray ennis from yeah. entrec knives yeah, from okay yeah ray. it was my it was a montrock knife at the time mm-hmm. and that's that's really what prompted me to get to get into this is i I saw him and Doug, Doug Striker. I, I saw their what they were building, and I, I said, "Okay, this is." And that's what re- replaced my Spanish mule, my mula, and and which was a bowling style blade, but it had a bigger a bigger handle. And like we were talking about earlier, with the combatives training that we were that we were doing at, at the time, I realized that this this handle is not conducive. It's not going to help me hold the knife the way I need to. It's not going to provide me the pummel that I need. And there, and, and it, you know, the designer in us, you know, the tinkerer in us. Right. That's that's what prompted me. Hey, and so I, I looked around, and I found this guy, you know, Ray, and I said, hey, I'd like to do something like this, and that, and then that's what I, that's what I did. And then, you know, being guys, you 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 learn to solve your own problems. You know, you you come you come to the issue with solutions, not with problems. Right. Right. And and that's that's what kind of. You know that that's what s- separates you. So so, and that's what prompted me. Okay, I want I want to make my own. You're like you okay, know, my I, own I, I here's this handle. I like this handle. This is what Ray's, and that's what I did. I mimicked I mimicked Ray's design and morphed it a little bit, a little bit bigger because the Montrock handle was actually really really small. But but it it was functional. It was designed to be in your callus line, and and it and it worked. I mean, it actually worked. And I created it a little bit longer. Um, uh, to 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 so you could have that actual pummel, but but again, that's what what brought it all together was this is what I need, and the reason I know I need that is because I'm actually rolling around with dudes who are six four six and you know some athletic guys that played semi pro this pro. I mean we and these team, are instructors or just other trainees just with you, other, other, other guys other training teammates. with you. Yeah, you know, yeah. Your, your team, your your teammates, you know. But I mean that's uh, arguably worst case scenario because you don't know who you're going to be exactly. interacting with. Exactly. So you might as well go up against. I know that I was training with uh, 
Oh, the name escapes me. The guy who co-designed the warrior knife for Spider-Co. I cannot I don't, I don't remember. think of his name. Uh, Is he the guy that did that darn dough? No, 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 no. No, no different, he, different uh, uh, he's from Israel. Oh, I'm drawing a total blank. I almost want to pause just so I can look up his name. In fact, Guy Raffaelli. So when we were training with Guy Raffaelli, my buddy Colin was there. Yeah. And Colin is a, he's a bail enforcement agent, a bounty hunter, right? Yeah. And Colin's, awesome. Colin's 6'5", yeah. and he goes 375, Holy except crap. he's a V. He looks like he he's was. He, he's a He looks like 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 a, a character in a Punisher comic book. That's awesome. Like he's just yeah. comically large and yoked. He's not a particularly yeah. fat guy, but when they want you to test techniques, I was really fortunate to have Colin there because number one, he'll give you natural response. He won't fake it for the yeah, sake yeah, of yeah. the instructor because he's been there, done that, and he's huge. So that's how. Not because oh, I'm so awesome, I was able to take Colin down. No, I was able to test techniques against, worst case scenario, if a Buick came after me, yeah. you know what I mean, in well, that one scenario. That, well, I mean, even what you're talking about there is, is applicable because overseas, the ability to get juice or, you know, steroids, roids, whatever. I mean, there were Iraqis and, you know, other folks from in Africa and in, Af in Afghanistan that they were juiced. And usually the guys that were you know that were on the stuff and were big not super big they were trained oh they, they they'd had some grappling ability i mean they if you if you didn't if you weren't on your game they would roll you up and you know and put it to you and, and you, you'd be a flipping statistic so that was their job yeah, basically yeah, they'd be huge I mean, and trained right, yeah right, yeah right. so so and, and you know they were doing a lot of bodyguard work or protecting you know this guy or that guy or, or, or whatever but you know jihad isn't always the hundred you know we see the classic you know 150 pound iraqi who can't do a jumping jack and that's not, right you know you know that's that's not always the case many times it was but that they had some ringers in their team absolutely <laughs> yeah. you know you know so you you really you you had to be ready you know ready to go train 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 and then from all those hours and days and weeks and months of training years of training then that's what led you to develop even taking you know some cues from ray over at entrek yep. and a relationship that you guys had together and being able to kind of develop this product line that seems pretty far-reaching i know because eric has talked to me ad nauseum about about 150 <laughs> different models he's coming out with and they're all designed so i mean this isn't like out in the ether that he's making stuff up uh, Eric, I've seen your stuff. You've yeah. actually put yeah. time into. Yep. What do you say you have right now? About seventy-five they're, models. They're about seventy-five. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's a incredible depth and breadth of a catalog that is in the vestal stages of being realized right now. Right, and we, I mean, it, for for guys in the community, I've 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 probably knife community dozen, or military well, community in, in the in the saw community. Okay, we've, we've probably got about fifteen. A dozen to fifteen designs that are that are out there, and you know, we're on on somebody's hip, right? You know, out, out there. So, it it's uh, and feedback. Have you gotten any? Oh yeah, <clears throat> excuse absolutely. me. Have you gotten any tune up kind of things oh, where yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. we should change this because yeah, yeah. you know, eighty percent of the guys yep. feel this way. And and it's guys would come back with, hey, can you can you do this for me? And that's really where the different designs came in. It's like, hey, can you make can you make me one of these? like yeah sure you know give me a couple of days to draw it up and then we'll you know we'll, you know put it to 
put it in the works and get it to you. And so where do you where do you want to go from here? So you have the the basic fundamentals and even advanced training levels as to what you want out of a knife. You're ready to go to the commercial market. How do you bring the tactical hand-to-hand -hand combat appeal, which is such a finite group of people that would use that? Yeah, it can be, yeah. How do you bring that to market and explain to the average civilian walking around that this is the knife for you? Well, I, I think that's what's, what's led credence or credibility for us so far is knowing what the heck we're doing. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, that's, yes. that's first and foremost, because you say something on the Internet and within, I mean, literally within 10 seconds, somebody's fact checking you. Oh, right. You Absolutely. Know, you know, you know what I mean? So and, and I'm sure there's already like dudes Googling, you know, <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. this guy right here. Yeah, Ding, you know, you there know, is yeah. black bar <laughs> over his <laughs> eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't recognize you yeah, without that black yeah. bar over your I eyes. Right? <laughs> you, officer. You know, so. So, yeah, I mean, and, and that's really that's probably one of the most important things. And then and then ergonomics. I mean, somebody's going to look at your stuff and they're going to say, okay, is this functional? Now, you look at bushcrafters, you look at, you know, somebody who has a blade that's designed to do combatives or, or whatever. There, there, there is a lot of synergy back and forth. If it, if it has ergonomics in the handle, if it has ergonomics in the blade, and it's a lot, you know, that's going to allow me to do a multitude of tasks or very specific tasks. You know, a thinner blade and certain blade designs, I, I may only be able to understand that this knife is not for hard use or heavy abuse, and I'm going to get some really fine, sharp cuts uh, out of right. it. And that's what, and, and then if I do this with it, I'm going to chip the blade. It's, you know, as, as you know, even your, your dad says, it's, it's about the geometry of the blade first, right? Then it's about the heat treat, and then it's about the steel. Right. You know, you know, and so when you, when you look at it pragmatically from those, from that, that's those standpoints, you you can easily design and say, okay, this is how I need to be doing this for this this market share. And so well, I would assume that you have some survival training in your background yeah, too, right? That was yep. imposed yeah. upon you by yep. Uncle Sam. Absolutely. Yeah. Not like I wanted to go, trust <laughs> right. me. Right. right. I don't want to eat well, the rabbit. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's using past conversations. <laughs> I don't care. I so, may not answer. So yeah, but but you have you see you have this survival training, you have these combatives training. So you're not actually watering down your product no. line to make it commercially nope. available. You're making something that's kind yep. of broadly appealing in the fact that you have so many different models to choose from. So if it is a private security guy that yep. needs a concealable blade, yep. which there is a market for. Right, and yeah. I mean, you you guys listening, I'm not talking to you, but there are also the wannabes that want to have that right. ultimate tool right, yeah. just in case. And even beyond that, there are the guys who want to have the best tool for the job should the circumstance ever arise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and like some of the, like one of the conversation I was, I was having with, you know, a couple of guys and, and they were bushcrafters and, and that's, you know, well, I wouldn't be doing this or I wouldn't be doing that or I, you know, well, okay, that's, that's fine. But this really isn't designed for me. I've, I've been to well, just like half the countries in Africa. I've literally been under MVGs and patrolling and had hyenas. Night vision goggles. You we know. need to get a little legend. So yeah, that you I, can, I got you. But, yeah. you know, having hyenas fall in behind you, you know, just waiting for someone in the patrol. Like actual hyenas. Yeah, like hyenas. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like, like 180-pound yeah, like <laughs> hyena 
you know, that's that is it has the ability to kill a lion or you know, it's right, you know, or fight off, you know, fight definitely it. put the hurt on a two legged yeah, lion, they're, they're, <laughs> you know, and they're they're 10 15 meters behind you and you're on patrol. Now, I mean, there were guys around me and I had an automatic weapon, you know, and MBG, so I mean, we had some advantages, but the understanding that that you are in the food chain and at any moment a, something may jump out literally jump out of the grass that's waist high damn you know you know abdomen high with you and you, or you may it may be scared that you're walking directly up on it but then it has this fight fight or flight response and it literally pounces on you you and know. as a homo sapien, your fangs yeah. and claws suck. Suck. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I was getting around. And, and like, what's that movie with DiCaprio where the, where the bear attacks him? And that's off that true story of that dude who was left. Oh, uh, the Revenant. Well, the yeah. Re- yeah. yeah, right, right, yes. right. So yeah. that's actually, and there's there's video out there of you know bears. You have a mastiff or a a, a cat when they push you down at the hips. They understand your body mechanics. They they will knock you down. So it's not it's not all about I'm going to be fighting a man. It's I may be fighting a puma, a mountain lion, whether I'm mountain a biking, hyena or a hyena. <laughs> right. I, you know, I'm just saying. I mean, you get my point. So it's that's really the perspective if you're going to be bushcrafting, especially in the United States or in, in certain places. You may. You, you know, be up against a black bear. I'm, you may have to rely on something perhaps yeah. a little bit more you have than no a fangs, woodlore. You have, yeah, no you, know? and you have no fangs. Right. So you have to have a care. And, and that's why I, I'm a proponent for the way I've designed the ham, the handles and the form and function that they are is for that specific reason. Cause you never know when you may become a target for whether that is another man or two or four legged, right. two or four legged, you know, yeah. something that's in the food chain with you. So, right. That that's that's where we're at with it, and that's that's why. So, but we've had I've had great response. There have been a few guys that are, you know it's small, but re- relating back to Entrac, that's small or Montra. Well, I'm not the blade. I'm talking about the handle. You know the handles. Oh. The handles themselves. And you know, Doug. I, I as soon as I got my my first Montra from Ray, I, I was I didn't I didn't have it out of the box in 45 seconds, and I I had the box under my arm. The hand, I, I literally walked over to the phone. I was like, no way, no way. And I, I got the phone underneath my neck, and I'm like, doop, 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 You know, it was before cell phones, you know? Right, right. Zick, dick, 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 dick. That's what it was. And, and I'm like, hey, man, I said, this this is this is way, way too small. And 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 it was Doug on the other end of the line, and he's like, okay, okay. He could he could tell I was I was – I was not a happy man because I just forked out and I've been waiting for weeks and I drew this design, you know, and so um, he's, he's like, okay, just put it in your callus line and this is how you hold it. And it's, it's across your callus line. This is Which is you, referring to the, the meaty pads yep, at the base of your fingers where it meets, yeah, meets your, your palm. Right. Instead of it instead of your whole hand curled around it and like a hammer and like, and it tucked in underneath your thumb, you know, and you know, I've, I've other, you hold a golf club, you hold a baseball bat that way you hold, you know, and so I understood it. And he was like, look, I don't know when you're, if your wife is going to allow you to walk around the house with a knife in your hand, your kids, I don't know your own situation. He said, you know, this this Friday, I think it was a Tuesday or whatever. He said, you know, this Friday or this weekend when you're sitting down watching football, it's football season or Sunday. You know, he's, he said, hold it in your hand, play with it. He said, take it out to the woods. 
you know, abuse it, chop, cut, notch, do whatever you're gonna do. And if you if you're not happy, you can send it back to. I don't care what you do to it. We'll recondition. And and I didn't even call him back because within two hours, I mean, I was and I was going back from back and forth from. A star was born. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, like absolutely. yes. And and I and I understood with the training and the problems that I had. I was holding my my mule, my mula, in in my hand, and then I'd go back to this this mantra, and then I'd go back and I'd go back and forth, back and forth, and I and I just I just got it. You know what I mean? And it, it made sense to me that I was doing it wrong. And therefore, and this is, and it, and even the way we train, we talk about con training and concept and experience-based training. And some places that you go and you work, you go in survival school, you get captured and then you go to the RTL. And then after, you know, which is the prison camp, you get captured, you go to the prison camp and then you go through the training. This is kind of E&E e e concept, is, yeah, right, escape right. and well, evasion. What they, yeah. what they call this is experience-based training. Is I already have the experience, now when I'm getting the training, because it's all classified, I can't take my notes home, I can't show my right. You, you know, so I have to keep in memory, you know, Kim's game. And if you go through, go through the training, and then you go through the experience, you have no experience to actually base to base it off of. Gotcha. So, you know what I mean? So when you're getting slapped around. You like, haven't been rattled yet. If you just do and, training, yeah, if it's just dude exactly, camp, exactly. you're not rattled. Yep, yeah, exactly. And, and so since I'd been through some hand-to-hand -hand training and intensive and, and knife work and working force on force and doing doing stuff real, real prove-outs. I mean, where we were chipping teeth, you know, semi-knocking each other. Force on force. Yeah, nose, that's exactly what it sounds nose, like. Real deal. You know, I'm fighting with this two green berets on my team, you know, and, they, and they're, they're, they're killing me. They're fighting know? to win. Yeah. They're, they're, right, yeah. Right, they're fighting to win. You know, so, so with that, that experience, and it, it just, the light bulb clicked and I, and I was able to say, okay, I understand this. And that's was the, the birth of where we've morphed into what we have right now. And that's, I mean, that's essentially and that's where you're at verbose, you know, yeah, yeah, but display, but, I think but it, it, I think it took some background right. explaining. So I don't think it was too verbose okay. because your handles are unconventional and it's important in today's knife market. And guys, I'm sure you can relate to this. Uh, there's a saying going around and I don't think it has been captured any better than one meme where it was a wooden headed axe with a metal handle and it said just because you're unique doesn't mean you're useful <laughs> and, and I said that is so perfect so in today's market especially in the tactical arena and I'm using air quotes tactical arena people are going way off the reservation of what's a useful knife yeah. and they're making odd shapes just so they stand out in a crowd and have something more marketable so it's important and I was kind of hope you guys don't mind I was I was leading Eric a little bit in that yeah, direction yeah. so that he could explain it because this is experience-based, this is training-based, and it's an educated design. And it may look, and it's not crazy, guys. I mean, it's it's a knife handle. But for those who are apprehensive about it being a little bit too thin or whatever, here's the philosophy behind it. And here are the uses. It, it's a Swiss Army knife, Eric. It has a bottle opener in it. Uses the scales on the Swiss Army knife to pop the beer cap. <laughs> I think it's the only tool I use on the thing. To be, uh, that and the awl. I could get away with a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. It's just an awl and a bottle opener. I bet the tip on my awl on my Swiss tool. Did you? I did. I oh. bent it. I was actually carving out. I was actually carving out some glue. Player three has entered the game. 
Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I was actually carving out glue from the from underneath one of the scales. Check Ooh, it out. Bummer. That's it. So one of you guys out there with a Bravo something or other has uh, the <laughs> reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's useful too. I want to point that out. It's yeah. shiny. It's important. Oh my god. Um, yeah. So I. I mean, I. I ask you guys to check it out and you'll be seeing so are you guys doing a collaboration with bark river knives yeah i mean we've, we've got three coming out right now there's a two one mini coming that's out. this one yeah this is probably arguably my favorite yeah, out of the lineup i mean you have i really like yeah. i think your legion model yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the legion's coming first and the tier one's following it right behind it and the legion and the tier one i absolutely want one of those knives i mean i think i said it when you yeah, showed yeah. me in the drawing but yeah, when right, i had it right, held right. in my hand it's got a nice big choil i'm holding yeah. the uh, 3d printed prototype in my hand right now and it's complete with scales and uh bevels and jimping and all that stuff but it's it's a, a plastic knife for lack of a better term um i do so I have to ask, uh, we have big lanyard holes on our knives too, yep. but I have a feeling that there is yep. a reason behind this gargantuan 3 8 yep, uh, lanyard hole. Yep. I calibrated my eyeballs this so morning, as I was able to tell. Three quarter inch. Three That lanyard hole is, if you don't have a, a large enough lanyard hole, a lot of guys don't use it. You know what I mean? And, and one piece of 550 cord, if when you're wrapping a piece of 550 cord around you, one, literally, this may sound, you know, very moot, but it, but it's not. One one will actually bite into you, where two side-by-side side won't. And, and that's, that's kind of sharing the load. I mean, yeah, sharing, that's science. absolutely right. sharing the load. And and we, we ride it very high, so it's when you're in a, a, a front presentation in, in your grip, it leads right into your wrist. And, and one of the things that sold me on a, on a lanyard was we were in, up, up in the mountains and we were cutting some demo cord and crimping caps and for some stuff we were putting in the ground and um, on, along some places where bad guys... Stuff needed to be put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. And so, and, and of course, <laughs> in, it's in the winter, um, pretty much snowing every day, so you, I mean, you can tell the altitude. And one of the guys had his shiny multi-tool and he was crimping caps and he was he was uh i don't know maybe 15 or 20 meters away from me and we were we were chatting in the middle of the night you know we're i'm doing my thing i had my knife with my lanyard hole and around around my wrist and we were in about 30 inches of powder and then below that's the, a, below that's the powder a gear below, black hole yeah, is what yeah, that yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i have i mean you laugh but I've, I've dropped stuff between my feet and never found it. Right, and yeah. I know it's, like, right between my feet. You know, well... If it was in your yard, you wouldn't find it till April. Right, you exactly. know, but you're not yeah. in your yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. And so, and so he, he, he drops his multi-tool, right, through the powder, and pops, <laughs> it pops through. There was, like, six or eight inches of crust snow underneath, and then there was a layer of ice, underneath that the only reason i know that there was a layer of ice there is because you could literally hear his, his it's fun it's hilarious it, you could literally hear his multi-tool slide like 300 yards below us down underneath the snow down the ice it's like that movie cool runnings it's the jamaican bobsled team just racing yes. under your feet yeah. and, and, and you could hear it <laughs> and i look over and of course i flip my mvgs you know I adjust them and I, 
I work, I work my, uh, my, my focus so I'm not seeing what, right, what's right in front of me. I look over him and I can hear him. He's like, hey, bro, you got, you got a crimping tool? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, no, I don't. I said, not, not, not an extra one. Right. You know? <laughs> so, we, it, and, and it just, again, you know, it was like, hey, look, this is, this is why. And the reason he didn't use his lanyard, because he didn't have a lanyard on it, because the hole is so damn small. Right. You Inconvenient. Know, you know, right. You know, right. And, and this, you know, our lanyard is big enough that you can literally put rope yep. or, or three eighths or, or, excuse me, three sixteenths shot cord through it. Right. Doubled up. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, there's, it's, it is built form to function. To be, you know, useful. To be useful, right? Useful, Ergonomical, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and that, yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, so interesting bit right there. Yeah, especially, I mean, hell, your mittens come with tie downs on them. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and literally, like, like five minutes later, after after that happened, you know, we were, the team leader comes on the radio. Are you guys done? He primed like, in, oh, yeah. We've, <laughs> we've kind of run into a problem. He's like, problem. We'll, we'll get back to you. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I had to go working on it. Yeah. Trip all the rest of his caps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's all, it's all good. Oh, that's it's funny. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, cool. Hopefully that sheds some light on, uh, as you'll hear Eric chime in throughout the episode with anecdotes and stories and references. Now you guys have a little bit of a fleshed out background as much as he can say while still maintaining the proverbial black bar over his eyes. And uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for some insight into your designs. And uh, I think we are going to be back after this break. guys i wanted to tell you that i was just surfing the gendaindustries.com website and i wanted to i was got i got really excited i can't tell you how cool this stuff is something that really unique that the guys over at Genda industries and tom Blodgett is doing is they're taking old world stones from all sorts of different geographies and places around the world that have been sharpening knives for centuries they're taking all of those tools and they're standardizing them for normal knife systems you're talking about cami you're talking about edge pro you're talking about uh, wicked edge and all sorts of different stuff you're talking about suahiros you're talking about nubatamas belgian codicules you're talking about you're talking about um just also architects arkansas stones arkansas stones all of those different stones he's cutting to the size that you would need for any sharpening system that you would have in your house including the cami sharpener that uh, you heard us talk about earlier I just really want to let you guys know that these stones work phenomenally well. They leave a they leave a beautiful they leave a beautiful beautiful impression and a great scratch pattern on there. And I don't know if you guys have seen this or not using different Japanese stones versus synthetic stones, or maybe I'm just a super nerd because I'm the only one that really looks at this stuff. But if you but if you see a synthetic stone, there's it looks like actual cuts like 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 grit on a sandpaper. But if you use a Japanese natural stone, it almost looks sandblasted, even though they're the exact same grit. They just cut differently. And, and, and by extension, you get a different kind of performing edge. It's really kind of a cool experience. A lot of guys, including myself, get a, get a really great sense of zen from using these, these, these top upper echelon shelf um, uh, uh, sharpening products, the agenda. And we can't recommend them enough. I know Matt's got his set, I've got my set, and they're fantastic. So if you guys really want to check this stuff out, go to gendaindustries.com and tell Tom that we sent you.
are back from that amazing interview with Eric. Eric, Eric, thank you, man. No, it's all, it's all good, brother. We're here to, you know, promote the love and kind of share experience and knowledge, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Here, 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 here. Uh, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to all jump in on some awesome Q&As because there were some great email questions that came in in the interim. We didn't get a chance to uh, send up a question box, but I guarantee you next week we will absolutely put up a question box. These are some heavy hitters today, so they're substantial. Yeah. It should carry us through the Q&A segment. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so first question comes from a gentleman that I actually met last time I was in, over in Germany for IWA. His name is Christoph Vulman Orr. That's, that's, that's three different words. Um, greetings from Norway. I want to, I want, and I want to point out that Christoph here is Norway's youngest knife maker. Oh, nice! And uh, he's, uh, he's he's multilingual. He's uh, he's a smart guy. He really he really does know his stuff, and he's got some genuinely good questions here for us today. So, greetings from Norway. How important is grinder speed when it comes to longevity of belts and heat buildup? I'm grinding on a two by seventy two inch one horsepower grinder with a speed of twenty eight hundred RPMs. Grinding hard steel, and I find that belts finer than 120 grits are a no-go. I use fresh belts, ceramic plus, dip after every pass, and grind in a cold shop. Any tips that can help, or should I just break the bank and buy a variable speed grinder? Okay. Matt, Matt thoughts? So, let's break this down a little bit. Um, you're running at a super high RPM, and a detail that we missed in the pre-read is you're also grinding on hardened steel at a super high RPM. And so, one thing you may want to consider is grinding in the annealed state, as opposed to the hardened state, and you're gonna get an exponential increase in your belt life. Now, because of your high RPMs, we were discussing this off air, The just picture a, a, a two by two inch section of your belt. So that is two inches square, which is the width. Picture that little patch on the belt. At high RPMs, that patch <clears throat> is gonna pass by more frequently the hardened media of your material, your product, that media is going to pass by more frequently than it would at lower RPMs, which means it's getting whatever the increment is, double or three times the wear, depending on what you would be set at. Now, as a professional knife maker, you're only breaking the bank when you buy a Rolex that you want to show your friends. <laughs> when you are investing money into the appropriate tool, be it the heartbeat yep. of your shop, then you cannot spend too much unless you're Absolutely. buying. I mean, right? right? Absolutely. It's the tool for the job. It's the, you get the right tool for the job. Mm -hmm. Variable speed is absolutely the way to go. It is. Now, that being said also, we're not all independently wealthy. Have you considered installing a step pulley setup? Maybe not going direct drive, but offsetting the drive shaft for your drive wheel and having that run through a series of pulleys, at which point you can slow the belt down using you know, basic mechanical advantage. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, you're, you'll, you'll find this on your common drill press. I mean, like just, 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 to, just to control speed. I mean, something like that is a cheap, reliable alternative. You may have to buy new belts once a year. Right, and but, it's, it's not <clears throat> witchcraft. Uh, yeah. A lot of people aren't keyed into the resources that are available to everybody. So you can actually do the math on it and figure out which pulley you need to achieve which percentage of operation. Now, I'm not going to say it's going to be as, as calibrated as surface feet per minute or maybe even RPMs, mm -hmm. but you can figure out that uh, a small pulley run to a larger pulley, what that's going to do to your belt. And there are online calculators for it. I guarantee it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, where, where a wheel of this size turning at this speed will turn this wheel of a larger size this far away at this speed, giving you a, a final speed of this. Yep. So you know I, mean? I guarantee you that that stuff like that is out there. I also, I also do want to point out that in the shop, whenever I'm doing a custom or if I really want to take my time on blades and handles, I'm running at a lower speed. Mm -hmm. Like I'm running, I'm running at uh, somewhere from 50 to 75% of whatever the speed of the machine is. And I'm pretty sure our grinders are 2,800 too. At full, I, at full I actually, more. I don't so, go 
above 70% unless I'm profiling on a contact wheel, at which point I run at 90%. Yeah. And this is on a KMG. I don't know what the surface feet per minute or even the revolutions per minute is going to be. Mm -hmm. you, you guys can look that data up online. But when I'm uh, hogging a profile with a 10-inch contact wheel, I run at 90 to 100%. Uh, typically when I start my bevels, I'm running at 70% and that's with a 60 grit, sharp 60 grit, or, you know, I break edge break with a dull 60 grit and then I move to a sharp 60 grit. Uh, that's usually at 70% and I step down incrementally by 10% for every belt progression and I stop at 40%. So that's when I'm on point. my 600s yeah. and trying to do mirror finishes or whatever it is, I typically run at about 40% speed because that gives me a lot of control and mm -hmm. it doesn't give me a lot of chatter and you don't get that belt seam duck 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 yeah. you get it less frequently so you don't have as much jump and chatter the, the, and you that, kind of get we were talking about rhythm right, before yeah, you yeah. kind of get the rhythm of it down yeah absolutely uh, and so yeah i would say in the meantime you can uh, here's all right so here's my prescription dr matt is in the office <laughs> here matt. yeah here dr. Matt. <laughs> dr martin i can be dr martin like the boots spelled differently <laughs> but same um homonyms man we love them uh if my prescription to you is to a Grind in the annealed state preheat treat, or at least get close, at least break that 240 cherry. Because if you can get the 220, 240 uh, even satin finish, then hand rubbing beyond that is not nearly as arduous as it is trying to hand rub out 60 grit scratches or 36 grit scratches. <laughs> you will drive uh, yourself crazy and then a, shoot yourself in the head. That's a fool's, to do that. It's a fool's errand, is what that is. <laughs> so I would say grind in the annealed state. Another thing you can try to do is experiment with structured abrasives. Now they're expensive, but they are useful. So you won't end up shelving it indefinitely, even if you find out that it's not for you. And by structure abrasives, I'm talking about the gator belts, the Trizac style belts. Um, they're like little trapezoidal uh, bars. They look like little gold bars out of Fort Knox, which may not relate to you because you're from Norway. Uh, but they... <laughs> um, they look like little bars, trapezoidal bars, and they're made of structured stacked abrasives. So as they wear, it reveals new abrasive. Now, the benefit that you're going to find out of those is that they have air gaps between each pile, if you will, of grit. And that allows a little bit of a cooling period in between each one, similar to like a serrated wheel or something like that. And you, would, you wouldn't think that something like that would actually matter, but the studies that these companies have done have shown that you have lower temperatures while grinding right. because yes. of if, stuff like that. If, if you're going slower... It, your temperatures are going to be much, much lower and you can absolutely get a full pass on, on each, on each without round. nuking the blade yep, without, without absolutely nuking it and then having to dip it or re-jip it in, into a, a bucket that's either cold or, or just keep it in there. And although it's moving slower, you may think that it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be slower for you to, to grind it, but it's not. It's, no, it's because not be your your hip elbow pass correct, of yeah. every bevel yeah. is actually going to be at the same rate. Absolutely. So you're not slowing down production because you're you're making the same pass yeah. and so, the material's being removed. So even even the adjustment, because there there may be some adjustment to go from an annealed state to, or if I'm just going to grind hard, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah. So yeah. I, you're, right. You're you're all over it. So. Structured abrasives, step pulleys in the interim until you can pony up the bucks for a variable speed grinder, which sometimes the brains for those can be a little bit spendy, I know. Um, you can also pirate them from other sources. There are lots of industrial tools that use a similar concept, and you'd be able to just wire that right into the motor, provided the motor accepts it. Um, there was one other point that I wanted to throw in there. Oh, yes, if you do make the jump to Trizac belts, they hate water. Oh my God, do they hate water. They glaze up miserably. So when you're dunking, when it does get hot and it dunks, tuck a towel or something nearby not on your person so it doesn't get sucked into the grinder and bring you with it but have a <laughs> towel nearby 
that after each pass, a lot of guys even use their sleeves. Brian Efros right, said yeah. Efros yeah. knives. Uh-huh. Every one of his shirts was just torn on the left sleeve and the right sleeve where he would wipe his blades down between passes. <laughs> and I think it was my buddy Ryan, a mutual friend of ours, that was like... Put the towel on your head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. you could do that. He's like, dude, bitches love dudes with sleeves, Brian. You got to stop doing this to your shirt. Oh, sorry. Yeah. We can honk that one out if you take a series of time. Wow. But yeah, that was a direct quote and it was hilarious and it taught him to stop using his sleeves. So, but you don't want to get the trizacs or the structured abrasives wet because they will glaze over and they lose all uh, functionality at that point. And it only takes once and they turn into a shiny mess. Interesting. Yeah. Did that's my experience that. with them too, because I was like, mm-hmm. these things suck. And then someone's like, quit putting wet knives against the belt. And I was like, oh, these things rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, these are really nice. Wow. Weird. All right, next All part right. of the email. All right, next part of the email. Part two, I'm also experiencing a lot of slack belt, of belt slack and walk. How far apart should the two idler wheels located at either side of the plate be to make sure the belt doesn't lift from the plate and get cut by the knife? <clears throat> when the edge thickness gets down to 0.2 to 0.4 millimeters, Thinner belts like a J-Flex will get cut and fly off. Yep. They sure will. Yeah. Um, a couple yeah. questions also. Number one, are you using a tool rest? If yeah. you're using a tool rest, then you're going to create kind of a binding effect as that J-Flex comes over. And it would be almost like looking at uh, high-speed camera footage of a funny car taking off from the line, the way the hubs torque inside yeah. of the outer, uh, you know, the perimeter of the wheels. Yeah. And you're creating that same kind of effect because that slack is essentially catching up with momentum to the edge that's biting it. So if you're having that problem with J-Flex and you're using a tool rest, then eliminate the tool rest. If you're having that slack problem and it's catching the edge, which by the way, that's a ridiculously fine edge. I mean, I'm assuming that you're going Scandi on these grinds because you're almost at a complete zero edge by that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that he's doing a zero point flat grind. I would, yeah. yeah that's, I mean, I, that, that's, that, would be, that would be outside of a, like a straight razor or a kitchen knife. Yeah. That, would, that would be the only other explanation. A very fine so, edge. Yeah. So you need to move your platen proud of the idler wheels. The distance between the idler wheels doesn't matter as much as the pressure being distributed to the back of the belt by the platen itself. Because if you have an airspace there, move your platen out. And yeah. if you can't do that, then figure out a way to do that because that's the source of your woes. You guys talked about it when you actually, <clears throat> Jim, when you met him, he was building Santokus and, and that was kind of his favorite, right? Yep. So his his blade, if depending on what you're doing, you may want to thick it up, thicken up your 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 blade. I mean that that may simplify it just just that much. You know, using a chef knife to do again, it goes back to use the right tool for the right task, and and you'll you'll find. That your success rate goes up exponentially, if not almost, you know, zero mission fail. Absolutely. Stuff, right. 100%. 100%. Okay. Well, hey, Christoph, hey, thank you so much. Was um, that it? Was that all the questions? Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was uh, <laughs> the only question from him. Um, I've got, um, I also want to bring attention. We did get a, a very funny email from uh, Ben Marovich talking about your hey, recent shoot on. Uh, on, uh, on Reddit. On Reddit. Your, your, yeah, so, so somebody had posted this on Reddit. I'm not quite sure who did it, if it was uh, it was Hammer himself or somebody yeah, else. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it okay, was, uh, good yeah. for him. Yeah, Is this cool. 160,000 views? Plus, yeah. It, it went... So, so Vehement Knives went viral nice. in a day, uh, courtesy of Jason Ham- Hamry, is how you sp- pronounce his name properly. It's H-A-M-R-E, and everybody colloquially knows him as Hammer. So uh, Jason Hammer of Jason Hamry Photography... 
took a photo shoot of us here in the shop at Vehement Knives World Headquarters of uh, uh, Jenna, Ashley, Dio, myself, and we did this kind of exploded pocket dump of our everyday use items, both in the shop and as if we were walking around. So we emptied our pockets. We had our essential tools with us, like our shop aprons and the tools we use day to day. And the photo shoot was amazing, and it was Jason's brainchild. And he dropped it on Reddit, and we actually made it to uh, Ashley's picture specifically as Knife Maker Barbie, which you can search. Uh, that yeah. went insanely viral. So that it is, made it all over sick. Twitter. It was... Uh, Trump-tacular. Yeah, it was, it was really something, and we got a huge response from it. And so, yeah, that... That really happened, and oh, that was hilarious. on a Saturday. We came in and laid on the floor. Thousand upvotes. Yeah, nineteen thousand upvotes. Yeah, yeah. That was we got. We got the biggest backlash. That is that's flipping awesome. So where that came from? She's a cutie too, man. Oh yeah, she's pretty easy on the eyes. We're lucky to have her on staff. So we're. Uh, I'm laying down for my shoot, which took place weeks before the girls. And I actually, I had a, a tooth crack. So I slept in that cot at the end of the room while the Are girls were getting their shit. I just got it pulled. Yeah, I had wow. a, a tooth go haywire on me. But uh, anyways, I'm laying on the floor while all my stuff is laid out around me. And Jason's getting his angles and setting his lights and all this stuff. And, and Jenna, my wife, walks over and she's like, hey, do you want a cigarette? And I said, yes. God, are you kidding me? And so she goes over and she puts it in my mouth because I'm laying still because everything's kind of in position, right? And so I'm sitting there just laying on the floor, smoking out of my mouth. And Jason's like, leave the cigarette. And so then it kind of became this rolling theme yeah, yeah, between yeah. the three of us, not my 11-year-old <laughs> daughter, obviously. But that was what got, that was the biggest political polarizing. Everybody lost their mind that there was tobacco use in these photographs. And I think that had a lot to do with what drove it because the controversy, oh you know what God. I mean? The scandal of smoking, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Most people are probably typing that from a keyboard sitting Welcome next to a to bouquet of cigarette butts. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is fantastic. I love this picture. This is fantastic. I just typed in Google knife maker Barbie. Yo, that's it. Oh, there yeah. it is. Oh, yeah. there it Number is. one. Yeah. <laughs> Ichiban. It's fantastic. All right. So, so thanks, Ben. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, yeah, this uh this email that we just got is about somebody who wants us to give them money. Oh, okay. We'll get right on that. Yep. All right. Here we go. Here's a good one. From Stephen Cooper via the um, um, the online form on the website. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, Stephen Cooper, um, in one of your podcasts, you talked about striking ferro rods with knives. Um, you said ferro rods are harder than steel and therefore damages the blade. Am I remembering that correctly? It's a little bit of a general statement. I um, don't... Is that something you would say? That's, that's that's something that I would say okay. because because fire seals like case hardened to like seventy five Rockwell. Okay, and knives are fifty eight. Which that makes sense because so, even you know, a uh, hardened knife, a hardened carbon steel knife. So if we took O one or ten ninety five or something yeah. like that, and we struck it on a piece of flint, it's a piece of the knife that ignites and forms Correct. a spark, not Correct. a piece of the flint. Correct. So yeah, okay, Correct. yeah. So that would make sense. Um, if I knew which episode was, I would go back and listen to it again. Wish you would put out more content, though I'm sure knives are a difficult subject to continually find fresh material for. Incorrect, sir. Millennia. We have millennia of knife usage. Abundance, baby. Abundance. So, um, actually, actually, it's very easy for us to find material for. Yeah. Like, uh, for We're lazy. Episode, it just we works. Are. Yeah. We are. Uh, both Matt, Eric, and I are all... 
are all really busy guys. And, and least resistance. That's, it. that's right, exactly. So um, we all have our own sources for information, and we always come up with, uh, with, with great ideas to have content for. The, mediocre the, ideas. Let's start there. Well, okay, <laughs> mediocre, yeah, let's claim <laughs> mediocre and then deliver exceptional. To go into his question, I, some, some knife makers or, or knife designs that are out there, they have on the spine a 90-degree... Yes, you know, and and that's what I put that into, or or we'll put an, an actual curvature specifically for to increase contact surface area, exactly, yeah. and then to focus the sparks into you know at about a four to five inch, um, you, you know, distance. But using your blade, you can do this, and you will be very very successful. But you have to understand that that's where your sparks are coming from. Is from the steel of the blade itself and not from the ferro rod it's you know right right well i think in the in this and case there's a role there's a role reversal so if we're using a piece of flint and we're using our knife right then we're losing material from yes, the blade correct when we use the ferrocerium rod we're actually treating the rod as the blade and the steel as the flint and so the the uh, knife steel i should say correct. to clarify so yeah we are shedding Ferrocerium mish metal, they call it. We're, mish, we're, right. we're shed, yeah, we're right. shedding that, and that's what's igniting. But that's only because it is harder. That you know, it, yeah. elements of it are harder. But it's also kind of suspended in like a matrix of other stuff, it, right? Yeah, Magnesium, yeah. which is not yeah. harder than hardened it's, steel. It's, it's just it's a it's a man-made matrix that's that's just designed to be a really good striking medium. And and with that comes some trade-offs. You are going to likely on most on most knives, you're likely gonna deform that little spot a little bit. Well, apparently with a repeated striking. And so, if, if you don't have to use, if you don't have to use your blade, then don't. Use, they come with a striker, yeah, exactly, and it doesn't weigh anything. Use your striker, yeah. or use the spine, the spine of your blade, or grind, grind your blade yourself. File, file yourself an actual section on on one of the back of your blades to actually use on your ferro rod. I did that on my yep. on my felt even. I, I I stripped down a 220 a used 220 belt and I cut it in half so it was 1 inch wide mm -hmm. as opposed to the typical 2 and I put my knife on a tool rest and I just went in and I cut just a very excuse me well defined this corona's making belchy well defined <laughs> 1 inch yep. slot and yep. I used that I I mean I've used it so many times and and honestly this brings up another point. All right guys. Soapbox time. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> I can't tell you how many. I can tell you that realistically, no embellishment, realistically, it's probably in the low hundreds, maybe from high 90s to low hundreds of fires that I've started exclusively with a light my fire fire steel army model that's three-eighths in diameter. Mm -hmm. I have yet to turn that into a toothpick. It looks like a dog bone right now, yeah. but I have yet to make that go away. So where did we get the idea that we have to carry around five-eighths fire steels? If you can survive for years making, and honestly, you shouldn't have to build a fire every day. You should have coals rolling that you can come back to. But even if you had to build a fire every day, which is like a, I can't think of any scenario where you would have to make a fire every day that you couldn't use your existing coal bed from, or at least be able to transport or whatever. But if you had to use that every day, you would still probably get years out of a three eighths fire steel. Yeah. 
So why are we burdening our pack and our loadout and the sheath maker with having to put a loop on there? It looks like it hold a boat fender. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, why are we doing this? I think we need to stop this insanity, figure out what works for you, put an emergency scout one, the little I have spit coming out of my mouth. I'm terrible at this. Uh, put a quarter inch one in your bag as a backup. And between the three eighths and the quarter inch, you would have probably, I don't know, half a decade. Yeah. Maybe you'll meet somebody to trade furs for in that time. Yeah, that's a great a great point. Personally, I, I like the longer rods. That way you get a good stroke and you can actually be, you can be a little bit off off of your, you know. Your bird's pet, nest right, or whatever. Bird's yeah. nest, right, correct. So that's. But that's that's a great point. But I like the longer rods, and usually the longer rods are the bigger rods. So, and that that may probably be where where it coming from. But a quarter inch is is will suffice absolutely for a long time. Yeah, and three eighths is forever. overkill. I yeah. thought you know, and now they're just getting huge. They're, they're getting I mean, they're looking like sharpies and stuff. You know, and bigger <laughs> like the big Magnum markers. And I, I just don't see any benefit in it. And your mileage may vary. Maybe you like the idea of being able to start. I don't know. 250,000 fires, <laughs> but uh, I, I just don't think it's necessary. So take a step back, step back from the internet for a minute, take a look at practicality and what you have to carry around in your pack because anybody who's carried a pack ounces gets, or pounds. Oh my God, yeah, do they yeah, do ounces absolutely. lead to pounds? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It gets, it gets pretty silly there at the end when, when you're at 75 pounds and you haven't put food one in your pack, <laughs> you, <know>? <laughs> <laughs> you can survive for a long time without no. fire. With, and then starve to death. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I know that uh, I the only fire steel I have two fire steels. One of them is an eighth inch magnesium rod. Okay. And then the, those are actually a little bit softer. Yep. You know, if you ever use them, you're actually supposed to scrape it. Like a Dones bar. Yeah. yeah, the yeah, old yeah. Dones bars. Uh, the Mac V Sog knife actually fits a Dones bar, and it's uh, oh, yeah, the Bark River vehement collaboration. <laughs> um, and uh, the the other one I have is an extremely well used three eighths fire steel. Did you see that one? No. It, it looks like a banana. No, is that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've started yeah. so many fires with it, but then I uh, switched over to flint and steel for for mine. And that 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 really is more just for fun. But if I were in a serious situation, I'd just stop at the gas station on my way to the woods and pick up a big lighter. Yeah, well, I mean, and for fun, in the vein of fun, fun yeah. and this isn't me being braggadocious or chest pounding or whatever. We did this for fun. We had plenty of other lighters, but we were camping uh, up in the Rockies. We were just south of Pikes Peak. Um, and I can't remember the name of the area we were in. It was something bare. Anyways, uh, 70 mile an hour winds. Oh, Everybody's tarp yeah, was yep. getting, or their tents and stuff were getting shredded getting and torn away, up. Yeah. And I, I knelt down behind the axle of the Jeep and in 70 mile an hour winds, I started a flint and steer steel fire. Nice. And so we did it with flint and steel, which I got to say guys, it's actually a huge. Charcoal? Yeah. Charcoal. Oh, yeah. 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 I was going to say that's, that's really, if there were one thing to prep what you were doing is make your char cloth, you know, make your char cloth, have it in its tin and be ready to go. And you you will almost every time get a first strike, yeah. a first strike, get an ember, yeah, get an ignition first strike, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're gonna lay in your pack with something, make it be a steel tin with some cotton in it. Absolutely. Like even when the when the kids were like six and seven years old, they were getting fires at at that age at that age with with char cloth, denim, yeah. denim char cloth. That's first, what we did with first jeans. strike, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. first strike. And, yeah, and the winds worked to our advantage because obviously it blew on the ember. You know what I mean? Right, but it was right, still right. pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, and having been a ton of time up at altitude, if you're over on this planet, over 300 feet, your winds will be 
on a consistent basis over 50 miles an hour. If they're, if they're blowing, they're going to be blowing 50 miles an over hour. Over 3,000 feet? Yeah. Yeah. No, over 300 feet. Over 300 feet. Over 300 feet. No kidding. Yep. Over 300 feet. You're, that's when the winds absolutely change. That's, I mean, we were living, uh, we were living at 53, 5,500 feet. You right. know, obviously 5280 is Denver, right. you know, and so we were up in elevation there. And then anytime you go up in the Rockies, I mean, we would camp at 10,000 feet, 11,000 feet, 9,000 feet. We found that the sweet spot for comfort for Cush camping was at 8,000 feet. Because it's not, you're not above the tree line. That that ends at about 11K in Colorado. And so, yeah, that's, but the winds are unbearable. Well, I'm just, I'm just, you know, think back. When it was blowing, it was blowing hard. Yes or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. absolutely. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. It's, it's, and it's the truth. I mean, it's, whether you're flying a helicopter or whatever, you get over 300 feet and it's, it's things change. Blow. Things absolutely change. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that, that low. I mean, that, yeah, that, that's crazy. That yeah. All right, that's all the questions. That or did I got. we even that's... get to the question, or did we go on a tirade? <laughs> no, that was it. We answered, you answered the question. What was the question? I forgot. Yeah, I already moved back. It was. Did we say that it's harder than metal? Um. And no. no yeah. 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 We did. We did. That the, the, the harder steel therefore damages the blade. Am I remembering this correctly? That's that's a little bit short and condensed down. But you have to understand that you're taking a hard thing and then scraping a softer thing against it. Right. At least at least initially through the casing. You know, after that, you're probably going to see a little bit softer material. It's not like that through the whole thing, but it, they are case hardened harder than the steel of your knife. There you go. So, so yeah, you're going to see stuff like that. So, um, use the striker <laughs> or get that get that first you know case hardening off, and then just use your knife like you normally would. Which is basically just that black oxide layer, right? It's that's pretty much all it is. So I think you would see where if you used a brand new fire steel every time you went out in the forest. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. <laughs> but that's that's yeah. all I got for questions because we right. didn't put up a question box this time. But but this segment is still 25 minutes long <laughs> so far. So we're doing pretty good. Um, what about you guys? You guys have anything else to say, or is that a podcast? Eric? No, that's that's a podcast. That's baby. a wrap. Uh, no, uh, bear with us. We'll get back to our typical consistent format as we get everything sorted out. But we wanted to take the opportunity to sit down with Eric and just kind of have a rap session and have a good time and kind of loosely maintain the format. But we appreciate you guys listening. And we can't thank you enough for bearing with us as we go through kind of the transitional phase. But uh, things are a moving and a shaking. So that, sir, is a podcast. We will talk to you guys next week. What's happening, gang? I tell you what, coming from New Sheffield, Michigan, up in the Upper Peninsula, I am so friggin' ready for spring. Spring is when, look, all right, I've done Sub-Zero camping. I'll do that stuff as a personal challenge, but to me, that's not necessarily enjoyable. It's more like working out or something, right? But when spring comes around, you're going to be hard-pressed, especially with the new woods outside of VKWHQ. You're going to be hard-pressed to find me without a rucksack on my back and a knife on my hip. And even though I make knives, I'm a huge knife fan. That's why Jim and I started this show. And one of the people I look up to most in this industry is Mr. Tom Krein himself, because that guy is an inspiration for edge geometry, grind symmetry, designs, usefulness, ergonomics in the handles. And I have in my possession one of his technical bushcrafters. And I cannot wait to load it out you know we all geek out and we go out on our day trips or whether it's in the woods or even in town or whatever it is and we kind of like to sort our gear kind of to what eric hansen's point was before it's very mission specific and uh shooter what do you call it shooter solution, shooter baby. solution well my shooter solution for a light jaunt out in the woods or maybe a day trip when we go check out a waterfall is to have that 
technical bushcrafter in my midst and be able to use it to start a little fire. It's lightweight, it's razor sharp, it's 01 tool steel. We all have enough experience with 01 dating back to the Randalls of yore to current day production that it is a great high performing carbon steel that takes a beautiful patina over time. Anyways, go check out Tom, find out what I'm so excited about because he does a full line of big knives, little knives, folders, regrinds. He's one of the only people that regrinds typical uh, production knives and they go up in value once his hands touch it, his grinder touches it more specifically. So go check him out at crineknives.net and you can find his Facebook group, Crine Knives, on Facebook and uh, see what's going on. He's got a bunch of flash lottos and events going on in his group all the time too. He's a good friend of us and also this little tidbit that I just remembered, he is starting or has recently started Mark of the Maker podcast. It's him, Sean Kendrick, Jeremy Marsh, and uh, a bunch of guys. It's a little bit more folder-centric, whereas we're a little bit more fixed-blade-centric, but these are great guys with collectively probably over a century's worth of knowledge between all the people at the table. And there are 24 hours in a day and two podcast hours in a week, guys. Plenty of room at the table. So I recommend you go check them out. Tell them that Behind the Blade sent you. Give them a high five. Tell them you respect their work because their work absolutely commands it. This is Matt Martin wrapping up episode 27, sitting here with my good buddy Eric Hansen, and of course my partner in crime, Jim Stewart, and my lovely bride, Jenna Martin from Skin Bender Leatherworks, just walked in to give me a ride home because she had the car. And uh, we will catch you guys, hopefully, barring any issues, next week. Thanks for listening. Not every time, just just once I'll wait for like ten seconds, then I'll be like, fifteen seconds of my life, I won't get back. All right, all right, all right. Just give me a minute. Oh, you doing fifteen seconds again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what a dick. Because I can't say that because we're trying to be silent. <laughs> I might have to keep this and put it at the very end. All right.